0: Visit
1: bankofamerica.com/slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, NA, copyright 2024. Hello, and welcome to Babbage, the Economist's Weekly Science and Technology
0: Podcast. I'm Anuno Bhattacharya. And I'm Hal Hudson. And coming up this week, why just possibly unknown to itself fundamental physics may be over. And it's the annual International Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. We asked Kenneth Kukier, who's there among the controlled chaos, for his first impressions.
2: Prove to me that this is not just the technology industry going amok anymore, that there really is AI-enabled stuff.
1: But first... The search continues to find whatever is left of flight MH370, a Boeing 777 that left Kuala Lumpur on March 8, 2014, with 239 people on board and vanished. Good
2: night, Malaysian 370.
1: Good night, Malaysian 370. The last words anyone would ever hear from the ill-fated flight, causing unimaginable grief. <laughs> and unleashing theories from the technical to the sinister. Among them, the pilot crashed the plane on purpose. Investigators looked into whether suicide could have been a reason. Ultimately, the International Independent Investigation Committee said it found no indications that would cast suspicion on him or the crew. Now, a Norwegian research vessel brimming with technology has joined the hunt. So Hal's written about this. So I remember this jet going missing. So where are we now with the hunt?
0: So, a coalition looked for the jet using a traditional surveying company called Fugro for three years, and they covered 120 square kilometers of seafloor, and they found nothing—not not a single thing. But since that search began, debris has washed up on various places off the coast of eastern African countries such as Madagascar and Mozambique, and now, just a few days ago, from Durban, a new mission has launched. This is a ship called the Seabed Constructor that has been leased by a Texas firm called Ocean Infinity. And it is kitted out with all kinds of the latest technology, including eight autonomous submarines. And it is on a mission to try again to find this plane. The submarines seem to be quite key to this search. So what can you tell us about those? They're unusual in as much as they're completely autonomous underwater submarines. They navigate completely on their own using dead reckoning from the accelerometers that they have on board. They're about six metres long and they weigh 1,800 kilos and they're bright orange. They look like big fat cigars. And these get launched off the back of the ship and then swim around all the way down to depths of around 6,000 metres with sonar and cameras and magnetometers all scanning the seabed for anomalies. And so these are
1: drones, and have drones been used before to search for this craft?
0: When Fuguru did its search, it had one autonomous vehicle, which it often had problems with. It did things like accidentally crash into underwater mountains all the time. These new drones, which Ocean Infinity is using, are from a company based in Norway called um, Kongsberg. It's the Norwegian defence contractor, and they have automatic obstacle avoidance built in. So if they see uh, an underwater obstacle like a mountain or, uh, you know, a cliff, they can swim around it. And this means that they don't need any human supervision whatsoever. There are humans involved on the ship in order to kind of plot and plan where the drones will go, but the humans don't control the drones once they're underwater. All that happens is every so often they get a little ping from the ship saying, this is where I am, where are you? Because what happens when you're trying to figure out your own way using just an accelerometer is that you often go a little bit off course and get a little bit lost. So that just brings them back onto the right path.
1: And so what do you think all of this means for their chances of finding the wreckage?
0: Well, they can survey a lot faster than Fugro could. The technical director, Josh Broussard, told me while I was on the ship in Durban that in tests in the Atlantic, they've been able to achieve about 960 square kilometers a day using six drones. He thinks they're going to be able to do 1,200 square kilometers a day when they're fully deployed with eight drones going at a time. That is something like 10 times faster than what Fugro was doing. So even though they're not scanning in any more detail They're not mapping necessarily in higher resolution. It's just the speed at which they can do it. So their chances are higher because they don't have to spend as much time on the water. And having a big boat full of humans on the water is an incredibly expensive thing to do. And it's already a politically tricky question. And the longer it goes on, the harder it is. And what happens if you know, the worst happens that they don't find anything. If they don't find anything, the the first thing that I know will happen is the conspiracy theories will explode. There are various conspiracy theories to do with planes going to Kazakhstan, planes being kidnapped by the American military and hidden away in Diego Garcia, which is a US airbase island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. But if they don't find it we will have to reassess the evidence. Currently, some of the best evidence is satellite data, which was the last connection to the plane. Each plane has a kind of satellite comm system that the that the crew uses to keep in touch with people on the ground, and it is those final pings to and from that satellite that it uses to talk to ground staff that sort of pin down what's called the seventh arc through the Indian Ocean on which analysis suggests the plane is somewhere, but it's all kind of statistical and it's all probabilistic. It doesn't give you an exact location for where the plane is. So if they don't find it, probably they will search in a different place along the seventh arc. I think it, it, you know, it's definitely on the cards that they never find it, even with all this clever tech. You're listening to The Economist science and technology podcast, Babbage. Next, why, just possibly, unknown to itself, fundamental physics may be over. I don't know. You've written about this intriguing subject for this week's edition, and in particular, you write about something called GUTs. What what are GUTs? GUTs are grand unified
1: theories. They are theories that date back to in some cases the 70s, and they kind of are an attempt to answer some of the big questions of physics that the really well-established particle physics theory, which is called the standard model, can't grapple with at the moment.
0: So what should we do? Should we just build bigger and more expensive and more massive and more gargantuan experiments? Or should we give up and start with some new theories? Well, it's difficult to
1: devise new theories without data, right? Mm. So what we need to do is to find something that that gives us sort of a handhold to peg our theories on. Now... A new bigger collider could be part of the answer, but there are a bunch of experiments that are being set up that are much smaller, like the size of a large room. And these are probing a lot more agnostically for answers. There's a feeling that physics over the last 40 years has been driven by these theories for which there's actually no empirical evidence at all. So getting away from that, people are starting to look again at how we could see signs
0: of new physics that that would direct theories better. It kind of reminds me of sort of the grand old age of, you know, rich gentlemen doing physics experiments in their living rooms, you know, Robert Boyle looking for ideal, you know, just messing around with water vapor and devising some empirical laws based on that. And those are incredibly successful physics theories. So, it, you know, are we back to an age of raw experimentation? Is this kind of a more interesting time for physics now that it's been set free from this ideology?
1: Yeah, uh, I think many younger physicists in particular see things that way. I mean, we shouldn't get too carried away. Things have moved on quite a long way since uh, those those days of, of Boyle. I mean, when we're talking about tabletop experiments, we're we're talking about Fancy stuff. Fancy stuff. Lasers, basically. Using the latest laser technology to probe deep in the heart of molecules to see whether everything is behaving as we would expect it to behave. Mm. And the idea is by measuring really, really accurately, for example, the energy levels within a molecule and just comparing them to theory to try to find
0: evidence that Mm. we are departing from expectation in some in some way. Okay, now departing from expectation, that sounds a little worrying to me. You know, rockets go up, cars drive on the road, buildings don't fall down, all because we think we understand physics. And here you are telling me we don't. So should we be worried?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, Newton's gravity got us a very long way before Einstein came along. And we had general rel- relativity, which honed things to several further decimal places, and became, you know physics became more and more accurate. The standard model works incredibly well. I think that's part of the problem, that it is almost too good. We've seen very few deviations from what it predicts. But yet, at the same time, we know that there are mysteries, like dark matter, that the standard model can't capture. Where we're at now is this really interesting phase where... Physicists are sort of looking at the dogma and thinking, actually, we, maybe we need to look much wider than the traditional theories have led us to.
0: OK, so a rejuvenation in physics, but no worries for man on street just yet. No, not yet. If you have any thoughts on submarine drones or fundamental physics hitting the buffers, please do put them in an email and send them our way to radio at economist.com or tweet us at Economist Radio. So finally, it's
1: the annual International Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. So what's new this year? The economist Ken Kukier is there, and he's been giving us his first impressions.
2: CES is the annual technology show that everyone needs to go to. In fact, I'm so smushed and smothered by people right now that it feels like everyone is here. Now, over the course of the week of a four-day event, There's gonna be 180,000 people coming by, and I've gone from station to station, stand to stand, in the area where there's smart appliances, and right now I've landed upon LG, a great South Korean brand, and I'm talking to Randy Overton, who works there. Randy, hello.
3: Hi, how are you doing? And welcome to uh, the chaos of CES.
2: Yes, uh, thank you very much. I welcome you as well, because sadly, you have to stay here longer than I do amid the crowds. (laughs) There are so many people here and there is so much to see, but everyone is talking about connectivity and talking about artificial intelligence. Tell me, what are the interesting things that LG is showing this week?
3: As you mentioned, the buzzword is connectivity and artificial intelligence and voice control or voice recognition. And that's really what we started bringing in this past year.
2: Reggie, everyone is talking about AI enabled everything. And it reminds me that 20 years ago, everyone talked about internet enabled everything. And a lot of it was, well, let's be generous and say it was BS. So <laughs> prove to me that this is not just the technology industry go on a muck anymore, that there really is AI-enabled stuff.
3: So you're, you're aware of connected appliances, and we have something called Smart You, where you can take a single app, whether it's Apple or Android, and connect to, right now, about 85 different models here in the US that you can purchase today, with more on the way you know, throughout the, the coming years. Uh, now we're going to take it to the next level with something called LG ThinQ, which involves artificial intelligence and voice embedding inside of these products. So today at the show, we've got our smart InstaView refrigerator. You can knock on the window and see inside, but this is actually a 29-inch high-definition LCD television that can turn transparent when you knock on it. So I can see inside with the items without even having to open the door. But like you expect with most televisions and touchscreen controls, you can cruise the internet, you can find out the, the weather, the temperature, and I can connect to all of my appliances using my voice with embedded Alexa inside of this refrigerator.
2: So give me an example of how that would work. How would I want to talk to it in an appliance rather than use my fingers to operate it?
3: Well, you're always busy doing something uh, in the kitchen itself, so for example, maybe I'm uh, preparing dinner there in the kitchen and I want to turn the volume up on the television in the living room, which is typically open in most homes these days, so I could talk to Alexa and ask it to turn the volume up on the television. I can still prepare my food to, to cook in there. Or say perhaps I'm sitting on the couch and watching my favorite movie and I could talk to the Google Home Assistant in one of our new televisions coming out and ask it how much time is left on the range that's cooking this great roast. So when I find out it's 10 minutes left, I can ask Google to pause the movie that I'm watching on the television, get up, get the roast, prepare dinner, have a nice family meal, and then we'll come back and finish the movie a little bit later.
2: Okay, so because I'm so pedestrian, I can can see all of that. I'm a believer blow my mind tell me something that's a little bit futuristic that's in your pipeline that you can say hey we're we're showing it now or we're not but here's what you can expect in the home of the future
3: so being a technology company we've had a troubleshooting uh feature called smart diagnosis for probably eight or nine years now and now that things have gone wi-fi you can do it wirelessly from your phone and your app by pressing a button But where we're looking to take it further is, we could actually send you notifications and kind of watch your particular appliances from our side of the business. And if we start noticing that we we could see a problem coming up in the near future, we could send you notifications, send you messages, and say, look, we noticed that this particular component seems to be having an issue. Let us send a a service tech to come out and visit you and go ahead and fix that before the actual problem. Happens
2: Right. So predictive maintenance that Rolls-Royce does for airline engines is now happening for my toaster. That's great.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, look, you know, if you happen to have a problem with leaking in a washing machine and ruin the floor, you know, now you're you're, you're out for you know, hundreds if not thousands of dollars in those particular situations. You know, it's to keep things running in, in tip-top state, and you don't have to worry about it you know, on your side.
2: That sounds great. Listen, Randy, thank you very much.
3: Thanks for coming to see us here at CES. Thank you.
2: Great. Thank you. So the show is incredible, and to show about the the stand of LG and try to explain it, it is absolutely massive. There's booths for every single sort of household appliance right now I'm looking at kitchen ranges and refrigerators and television screens. I'm looking at small little devices that seem to look like small little robots that are humanoid, that look like they're setting sort of air conditioners and other things like that. Um, And of course, LG's great power and strength is in the television and there's massive screens with incredible resolution. But what there is as well is a lot of people. So at this, as I get smothered at CES, I'm gonna sign off. This is Ken Kukye in Babbage.
0: Thank you to Ken in Las Vegas, and we'll hear more specifics from him in next week's programme. And that's all for this edition of Babbage. And don't forget to pick up this week's Economist or
1: find us online at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist.
3: Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business.